So I, I, went to, um, I went to college in like a real small town in Arkansas. Some of you are like, that sounds horrible. Why would you ever do that? It's a valid question. Why did I ever do that? I don't know. But it was a great school, great experience. You know, on the weekends in this small little town, there wasn't a whole lot to do. And so when the weather was warm, many of us on the weekends, we would flock to a nearby lake. It was called Heber Springs. And we would go there and there were like these bluffs, you know, these cliffs you could jump off into the lake and something everybody enjoyed doing. And there was one bluff in particular that kind of had a legendary status. This bluff had a name of its own. It was called the Amphitheater. And I'll never forget, you know, uh, the Amphitheater was legendary because of how tall it was. And, you know, it wasn't just how tall it was. People estimate, I don't know how tall it actually was, but people were saying it was like 90 feet. 90 feet from this bluff and people would jump off into the water. And I remember the other thing that made it special is it wasn't in the same area that all the other bluffs were in. You like had to drive to another part of this state park in order to access the amphitheater. And so my freshman year, I remember it was like one of the first weekends we were in town, me and all my buddies loaded up in a car. We drove out to the lake and all these other folks from our school were there. And I remember we're, we're sitting around, jumping off the bluffs, the shorter bluffs, talking to each other. And I see my brother who, my brother was two years ahead of me. So he was an upperclassman at this point. And I see him and all of his friends walking over to me and my friends. And the backstory to this is that my brother's freshman year, I remember him coming home and telling the story. His freshman year, some of his buddies, they all went to the amphitheater together with the intentions of jumping. And only one guy made the jump. And it was my brother, you know, he was the one that went ahead, he made the jump. And I remember, so I see my brother and his friends coming over and I remember his friends kind of looked and they said, hey, we're, we're kind of wondering if Little Etheridge is as gutsy as Big Etheridge. <laughs> and I remember being like, yeah, yeah, I am. You know, I'm like this freshman guy. You know, if you're in college, you understand you're a freshman, you got these upperclassmen, you're like, man, this is my chance, I gotta prove myself. And so, you know, they're all like, let's see if you're as gutsy. I'm like, yeah, I am. So next thing I know, me and my friends and all of my brother's friends and lots of other people are piling into cars. I see like four carloads of college students all driving through the park over to the amphitheater. I remember we get there and I walk out and I look over the edge of this cliff. Man, it is a long way down. <laughs> like my, my stomach kind of drops out a little bit. And at that point I start going, okay, how can I back out of this and not look like a coward? And I remembered somebody had told me when you jump off of this thing, you've got to have shoes on because it will really hurt your feet. And I didn't, all I had was flip-flops. So I was like, you know, guys, I don't have any shoes. This guy's like, here, take mine. He just takes the shoes off. And I'm like, oh, okay, there goes that excuse. You know, what am I going to do? And so now I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm putting on these shoes. And you know, as I'm putting on the shoes, I start thinking about the fact that, you know, my, that my brother has done this. My brother did it. He was fine. There was something about knowing that he went ahead of me. And some of you are going, it sounds like he's a horrible example. But let me tell you, let me tell you about my brother. As I'm sitting there lacing up these shoes, he comes over to me where nobody else can hear and he sits down next to me. He says, hey, bro, listen. He goes, you can do this if you want to. He said, but you don't have to. He said, but if you want to, you can totally do it. He goes, let me give you some pointers. And he starts talking me through. He's like, now, when you, when you run, you got to get a running start because you got to get out a little ways. He's like, so get a running start. He goes, you want to jump to the right because there's a little tree down there. You don't want to hit that thing. He's like, so jump. He's like, jump out to the right. He's like, when you're going through the air, he's like, he goes, make sure you use your arms to steady yourself so you don't lean forward and smack your face on the water. He's like, and then right before you hit the water, you want to cross your, he starts telling me just the mechanics, the simplicity of how to do it and what I can expect. So sitting there listening to him with all these onlookers, I decided, all right, it's my chance, you know? And so I stand up and I ran and I just jumped. 
And as I'm going, I tried to scream and I couldn't even get anything. I was like, like <laughs> I'm just like falling. And I remember falling and waving my arms. I did exactly what my brother told me to do. I kept myself straight and then I crossed my arms right before I hit the water, put my legs together. That part's really important. And then I went right into the water. <laughs> and you know, the truth is, the truth is, it was, it was pretty fun. It was pretty exhilarating. It did hurt a little bit, like it hurt my neck, but I, I made it and I climbed out when I got to the top of the cliff. Everybody was cheering for me, you know. And what that moment just revealed to me is that sometimes it's so, there's just something about having somebody who's gone ahead of you. There's something about having somebody who's gone before you, who can talk to you about what you're about to step into. That builds confidence, that builds your trust, that builds your ability to step into the thing that feels ridiculous or the thing that feels difficult. And so, you know, it's really interesting right now. We are in this really unique moment as a church family. You know, in a lot of ways, it's like we're standing on the edge looking over going, man, what is coming for our church? And if you're new to Ethos or if you're visiting, you haven't been around much, you know, we found out near the end of last year that we are losing this building. And we're in this place right now where we, after today, we have six Sundays left in this building that for 13 years we've gathered here and we've worshiped and we celebrated and we've baptized and we've watched people grow in their faith in Jesus has been an amazing experience for us. And now we're standing at the edge of a precipice and we don't really know what's next. And we're going, okay, Lord, what's next? And so we find ourselves in this unique moment. But it's not just that we're looking at what's coming with the change of our venue and everything. We're also in a unique season with the rest of the global church. You know, we are approaching the celebration of the most momentous moment in human history. The most momentous moment in human history was the moment that Jesus Christ crucified and then rose from the dead on the third day, the first human ever to die and on the third day rise back to life, to eternal life, and he throws open the door. You know, I don't know if, you've, if you haven't been in church much, you know, Easter might conjure up images of overly large bunnies with weird plastic eggs with chocolate in them, but this is not the Easter story that we celebrate. It's the resurrection of King Jesus. And so we find ourselves in a unique moment. We're on the edge looking, hey, what's next? We're also approaching a massive celebration as a church family. You know, and in some ways, these two things working together put us in a unique moment as, as a church family. But in other ways, it's just another example of what it's like to be on a journey of faith with Jesus. The journey of faith with Jesus, it's, it's marked by unexpected things. It's marked by looking over going, man, we don't know what's next. It's marked by the anticipation of celebration. It is marked by these things. And the beautiful thing about the scriptures is that the, the Bible, the scriptures are full of stories of brothers and sisters who've gone before us. They have walked this road of faith in Jesus, the journey of faith in Jesus. And they've shown us what it looks like. And the scriptures just give us example after example of what it looks like to engage this journey. And so over the next several weeks, we're gonna take one of these characters, one brother in particular who has gone ahead of us. And we're gonna look at his journey of faith and understand what, he, what we can glean communally as a church family from his journey of faith in Jesus, but then also what we can glean individually, each of us, because each of us are on a journey. And even though we are collectively in some ways in the same spot, individually across this body, we're all in kind of in different places on our journey. And so we're gonna really zoom in on the character of Peter, the apostle Peter over the next several weeks. And so why, why Peter? Why are we looking at Peter? Well, a little bit about Peter. If, if you've never read much about him, you may have heard of him, the apostle Peter. Many look at him as the, the earliest leader of the church in the first century. But see, Peter, Peter was really just a normal dude. He was a first century Jewish man 
Uh, he had a job. He was a fisherman. He spent his time on the Sea of Galilee fishing, trying to catch fish, cleaning his nets, just doing the routine things that fishermen do. Uh, but there were some other things about Peter that make him really special for this focus. You know, one of the things about Peter is that he's just so relatable. Like if you've ever read the story of Peter, he's just a relatable guy. You know, um, he, he, was, he was pretty brash. And so often he was known for often like needing to put his foot in his mouth. <laughs> so if, you, if you're one of those people that thinks without, I mean, that speaks without thinking, I'll raise my hand, I'm one of those. And you have to put your foot in your mouth. Man, Peter, he's your guy. Like he's just like you. He would often act without thinking. But Peter also, you know, one of the other things about Peter that makes him so relatable was that, you know, Peter really wrestled with failure. He wrestled with things not going the way that he wanted them to. Peter in one moment would be confessing his faith in Jesus and then the next moment he's denying that he even knows him when the pressure was high. Peter struggled in his journey. Sometimes he was a little slow to accept the calling that Jesus had for him specifically around the area of laying down your life. You know, some of us, we say, yeah, I wanna follow Jesus. But then we get to this place where Jesus is like, hey, following me means you gotta lay down your life. You gotta take up your cross. There's gonna be sacrifice along the way. And we go, ah, Peter wrestled with that really significantly. And so he, he, was, he was prone to, you know, prone to putting his foot in his mouth. He was a little brash. He was a little slow sometimes to accept what Jesus would lay out for him. But here's the thing about Peter that's really significant. Peter, his name Aside from Jesus, Peter's name is mentioned more than any other name throughout the four gospels. There's something significant about Peter's journey that God wants us to know, so he highlights him in the scriptures for us. His name is all through there. And because his name is all through it and we can really see his story, his faith journey and his transformation becomes really visible. Like we can see it. And so we're hoping that we together as a church, we can track some highlights of his journey and understand what it looked like for him to have faith in Jesus in unexpected moments and in disruptive moments of his life. But the other reason we chose Peter is because we're preparing for Easter. And one of the moments that I love most about Peter is when he finds out that the tomb is empty. You know, at the end of Luke's gospel, it's really significant that the women who had gone to the tomb to anoint Jesus, they come back because the tomb is empty and Jesus' body isn't there. And they come to the apostles, the 12, and they say, hey, the tomb is empty. And most of the apostles say, oh, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. You don't know what you're talking about. Peter, Peter gets up and runs. Like he runs to the tomb. There's this eagerness in him this curiosity, this desire to see what it is that God is up to. And I love that about Peter. And so around resurrection, Peter was one of the first, after the women, he runs to the tomb to go see what is happening there. And we want to be a church that models just that hunger, that desire to understand the resurrected Lord Jesus. So this is why we've chosen to zoom in on Peter a little bit. And so this morning, we're gonna start, his whole story has a really significant beginning. And that's where we're gonna focus today. We're gonna be looking at Luke chapter five. So if you have your Bibles, open up Luke 5. I'm gonna read, read through Luke 5, and we're gonna see kind of three different parts of the way his journey of faith starts. The first thing we're gonna see is that there's this glorious disruption in Peter's life. The second thing we're gonna see is that there's a, a simple invitation. And then we're gonna see that there's a renewed purpose. Okay, and we're gonna spend most of our time on that glorious disruption. So let's read the story together. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and that, that word right there, uh, this is a body of water um, in Israel that is referred to by three different names in the gospels. So if that feels confusing, it's the Sea of Galilee. Here Luke calls it the Lake of Gennesaret. <clears throat> Sometimes it's called the Sea of Tiberias or the Lake of Tiberias. One body of water, the Sea of Galilee. So Jesus was standing by the Sea of Galilee and the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. 
Jesus saw at the water's edge, there were two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats. That thing about washing nets is really important. We'll come back to it. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. All right, this is our boy, Peter. Simon, when we first meet him, his name is, I mean, Peter, when we first meet him, his name is Simon. And we'll later learn in this story, he'll actually be referred to as Simon Peter. Uh, But what we learn is Jesus actually gives him a new name, a new identity later in his story. But here he's just Simon. So he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord from Luke 5. And so here we have kind of Peter's introduction to Jesus, this moment where he's called. And remember I said, there's three things. One is just this, it's this glorious disruption in Peter's life. It's this glorious disruption. Peter was having just a completely normal day. And one of the things that we see in this glorious disruption for Peter is that it is completely unexpected. I mean, notice what Peter was doing. Like Peter's just, he, he's spent the whole night fishing and he's washing his nets, okay? He's at the end of a night shift. He's ready to go home. It is this unexpected moment. I promise you, Peter was not planning on using his nets again. Otherwise, he would not have been cleaning them. He was cleaning them because it was time to go. I don't know if you've ever worked a shift job before where you work late hours. You know, I remember I had a job uh, in college one summer uh, where I worked for National Car Rental and I was in the, on the, in the reservation department. And so what that meant, back in the day before you could make rental car reservations online, you had to pick up a phone and call like 1-800-RENT-A-CAR or whatever it was, you know, and, and you talk to a person. It was like this novel idea. You know, you talk to a person and then you, you rent the car. And I was the guy, literally I sat at a little cubicle in a big room full of a hundred other people who all had little headsets on and the call would come in. Thanks for calling National Car Rental. Can I help you find your reservation? And I would do this. And this thing was open 24 hours a day. And I remember my brother and I, we got the shift that was from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. It's an eight hour shift that went through the night. You'd be surprised at how many people are calling at 3 a.m. to rent cars. I mean, weirdest thing. So we're sitting there and people would call in. When 6 a.m. came after that shift, of me sitting at a desk and taking calls all night. I promise you, I was not super pumped. I wasn't looking for somebody to come invite me into a spiritual conversation. (laughs) I was ready to go home and let my head hit the pillow and get some sleep. And I'm doing a simple job where I sit at a desk. Peter has been on a boat all night, throwing out nets, bringing the nets in, throwing them out, hauling them in, like hard labor all night long. And Jesus shows up and he says, hey, Peter, how about you put your boat out one more time? (laughs) This glorious disruption for Peter is completely unexpected. He doesn't see it coming. And Jesus says, hey, can I use your boat? But it wasn't just that it was unexpected. It was also that it did not make sense. 
It didn't make sense at all. You know, I want you to picture this. Peter is a professional fisherman. And here comes this carpenter turned spiritual guru. <laughs> and he's like, hey, Peter, I know you didn't catch anything last night. Let me tell you how to catch some fish. You know, it's like the fisherman's looking at him like, wait, what? You don't know what you're talking about. Like, I'm the fisherman. What you're asking me to do does not make any sense. And so it was unexpected. It didn't make any sense. And it was really inconvenient. This glorious disruption was inconvenient for Peter. I want you to think about this. If, if he does what Jesus asks him to do, he's been cleaning the nets. And so now if he does what Jesus tells him to, it means he's gonna go out. It's inconvenient, he's gonna throw his nets out. In his mind, he's thinking, I'm not gonna catch anything again, but now I'm gonna have to come in and clean my nets again. So he's prolonging the amount of time before he gets to lay his head on his pillow and finally get some rest. And so it, it, it's unexpected, it doesn't make sense, it's inconvenience, but probably the most important thing about this glorious disruption that Jesus puts in Peter's life was that it required something of him. And what it required was humble obedience. Humble obedience. You see, what, what this glorious disruption required of Peter, it set the tone, set the foundation for the rest of the journey of faith that Peter would set on in following Jesus. It's this simple request, unexpected, doesn't make sense, inconvenient, and all it required was a humble, obedient response from Peter. What's amazing is Peter as he sat there cleaning his net, he could hear Jesus teaching from his boat. There had to be something in what Jesus was teaching that began to stir Peter's heart. And Peter saw there's something about this guy that's worth it. So even though it's inconvenient, even though it doesn't make sense, even though I didn't plan for it, Jesus, because you said so, I'll do it. See, and this is what I love about the posture of Peter in this moment is Peter had this ability to see that maybe this disruption is not an obstacle to be worked through but instead it's an opportunity for something that Jesus is going to do, something that Jesus is trying to make happen. And this is where I think we see ourselves as a church family, our story overlapped with this moment in Peter's life. You know, we have had really the last two years <laughs> have just been marked by unexpected disruptions. I mean, it was almost two years ago to the day that we canceled a Sunday morning gathering because there was this pandemic that was beginning. <laughs> And so we canceled one Sunday and I'll never forget, like we all thought, yeah, we'll cancel one Sunday. We'll probably be back the next week. <laughs> How we ever know it would be 14 straight months before we would be back together in this place. For 14 months, we were disrupted. For 14 months, we had to gather in our homes and watch our worship gathering online through a live stream. For 14 months, we were not able to be together in our physical space. And then last Easter, we came back together. And it was this moment of celebration that we were finally back together, but we were totally shocked when just a few months after we came back together, we received notice that this building had sold and that our time in this building was gonna be limited. This is glorious disruption, totally unexpected. And if we're honest, we go, man, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> and it's pretty inconvenient, Jesus. Like, Lord, don't you know? Don't you know that we've had so much amazing things happen in this space? Don't you know that we have built out classrooms for our kids? Don't you know that we have systems in place where we can pretty seamlessly turn a bar into a worship space on a Sunday morning with a handful of volunteers? Don't you know, Lord, that we have worked out this thing and it's really working in our favor? Do you see, Jesus, how, in, how inconvenient this is? Do you see that it doesn't make sense? And yet Jesus seems to be leading us through it. 
I'll never forget um, this moment in November. I don't know if any of you were here. It was at the 11 a.m., the 11 gathering one Sunday in November where, you know, multiple times through this journey as a church family, we've invited you to pray and just ask the Lord, God, will you lead us and, and show us what's next? And I'll never forget this one Sunday in November, I invited everyone to pray. And at the 11 a.m., as everyone's like huddled up and praying about what we're gonna do about the building, suddenly the fire alarm goes off. <laughs> I'll never forget, it was like this strobe light over here to my right starts flashing. And everyone kind of looks up from their prayer and this voice literally comes over the fire alarm and says, please exit the building, please exit the building. And, and like the irony of it is not lost on anyone. We're all looking at each other like, what in the world in 13 years, there's never been a fire drill. And now we're asking God about the building and the building is telling us to get out. <laughs> we're like, this is the weirdest thing ever. And so we shifted and we went outside and I was so amazed by the posture of our church family. Everyone was laughing, everyone was having fun. And when there was a moment when we didn't think we were gonna get back into the building and I told everybody we were just gonna send everyone home, literally in unison, everyone in the parking lot starts going, preach, preach, preach. Everybody wanted me to preach out in the parking lot. It was this great moment where God was saying, hey, I'm in this. The fire department told us, they were like, yeah, we can't figure out why the alarm went off. There was no, nothing triggered it. There was, there's nothing wrong with the system. It's functioning. We're like, yeah, we don't know, it must be a fluke. I'm like, yeah, it was a fluke. <laughs> we asked the Lord and he spoke. You see, we see the Lord in so many other ways, not just that moment. We see the Lord's leading us in this. And yet it doesn't make sense. It's unexpected. It's really inconvenient. And the question we have is, will we have eyes to see that this disruption, it is not an obstacle for us. This is an opportunity. We believe it with all of our hearts. God is at work and leading our church family. He's doing something. If we will have the ability to, like Peter, respond with humble obedience, to be humble before him, not to throw a temper tantrum because we're not getting our way, not to take things into our own hands and do it our way, but to continue to wait and just be expectant. We have this model of our big brother, Peter, who's gone ahead of us and he's shown us what it looks like when you take the risk in asking, acting in obedience to Jesus. But I don't think this glorious disruption thing, it's not just about us as a church family. The truth is, is that all of us, if, if you are pursuing life with Jesus, there are going to be these moments of glorious disruption, unexpected things, things that don't make sense in your eyes things that are really inconvenient. And it can come in a variety of forms. You know, some of you are probably in the middle of disruptions right now. You know, maybe it's the job that you applied for, you really counted on and then it didn't come through, or maybe it's the job that you lost. Maybe it's a relationship that didn't work out and you can't understand why in the world, God, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed. Why would you let this thing upend my life like this? Maybe it's family relationships that you're trying to navigate that are challenging. Maybe it's the fact that you've just started following Jesus and you're starting to feel the strain that your life is gonna look different than those in your life who don't follow Jesus. And you're feeling the pressure. It's inconvenient. It doesn't make sense. You know, sometimes these moments of disruption in our lives as followers of Jesus, it can come in a variety of ways. Sometimes it comes, sometimes it comes through the conviction of sin. Sometimes there's these moments when we're walking with Jesus and we feel like our spiritual life is in great shape. And then all of a sudden, either through a sermon that you hear or something you read in the word or a conversation with a friend, a sin in your life gets highlighted. And you realize that one more thing Jesus is asking you to release to him and it goes, ah, oh, Jesus, I didn't see that one coming. It's unexpected. It's inconvenient, Lord. It doesn't make sense. Why? And he goes, humble obedience. I just want you to, I just want you to obey. We trust me. Sometimes it's not conviction. 
Sometimes it's calling. You know, I'm convinced that there are some of us in this room that the Lord is trying to call you into new things. For some, it may be radical things. It may be picking up and moving to a new city. Some of you, it's calling you to take a simple step of faith into something new in your life. And it's this disruption, whatever that thing is that he's calling you to, you're wrestling with it because it feels like a disruption. It doesn't make sense. You know, it's unexpected. And Jesus is going, hey, do you have eyes to see? I'm not putting an obstacle in front of you. I'm opening the door to an opportunity. And he invites us in. So what we see in Peter's life here is there's this glorious disruption the moment Jesus steps into his life. But it doesn't stop with just this disruption. There's also this really simple invitation, really simple. Now, I see it in two ways in this story. You know, immediately after they catch all these fish, this unexpected, amazing thing happens. They, they act in humble obedience, and then they catch more fish than they can even fit in one boat and Peter's response is so interesting. He comes to Jesus, he falls on his knees, and he's like, Lord, you go away from me. I am, I'm a sinner. He responds with like this kind of reverent fear of Jesus. But I love the invitation that Jesus gives him. The first thing he says, he says, yeah, here in verse, at the second part of verse 10, he says, don't be afraid. He's like, don't be afraid. This phrase here is really significant. It's not... He doesn't say, hey, don't get scared. No, don't be afraid. It is the calming of an already existing fear. You see, Jesus, he knows us. He knew Peter. He knows that when these disruptions come, it's almost like an involuntary response, like a reflex, that when the disruption comes, our hearts are naturally just stirred to fear. And when we face these disruptions, whatever disruption it may be in your life, whatever it is the way that God's getting the attention, getting your attention, that Jesus is getting your attention, he looks at you and he says, listen, I, I know, I know, I know how you're feeling. Don't be afraid. He seeks to calm this existing fear that he knows just naturally rises up in us. Isn't it amazing to have a God who just knows us? He knows you. He knows what it's like to be human. He felt fear. He felt weary. Jesus, Jesus had some pretty remarkable disruptions in his life. And all of his disciples did as well. And he knew every step of the way how to speak to them. He says, he says don't be afraid. So the first invitation is this invitation to his peace, this invitation to not be afraid, but to look at him. But the second invitation is, is really simple. And we don't see it quite as clearly in Luke's gospel, the way that he tells the story. But if you go read this same story in Mark chapter 1, or in Matthew's gospel, he, 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 Jesus walks along the side of the sea. He sees Peter, he sees Andrew, he sees James and John, and he says two words. He says, follow me. Follow me. This simple invitation, follow me. Do you know that that is the invitation to us? That Jesus doesn't stand before you and he's not like, all right, go to church more. Hey, hey you, yeah, go to church more. <laughs> hey, get your life together, clean yourself up, then come talk to me, and then maybe things will be good. No, it's that he meets Peter, Andrew, James, John, right where they are. He meets them in the, the moment of their life. It's as you are, right where you are. He says, follow me. It's so simple. Follow me. You know, I believe this is the invitation being held out to us communally as a church. We believe that God is leading us. And the question is gonna be, okay, Jesus says, don't be afraid, just follow me. You know, the simple truth of what it looks like to follow Jesus is that sometimes he only illuminates like one step in advance. 
And it's just this continual step of faith. You know, when he told Peter to go drop the net, so it was like this moment, he's gonna say, hey, will this guy actually obey me? Will he trust me? Will he follow me? He took this nonsensical step of obedience, lowering the nets down after a night of nothing happening, and he saw the fruit. And the question that Jesus has for us is, hey, Ethos, Ethos, I know this doesn't make sense in your eyes. I know this feels stable where you're used to this place and things are going so well, and, and suddenly it's just this interruption in your life. I just want you to keep following me. I'll tell you one of the greatest concerns that I have in this whole transition It's not, oh man, are we gonna have a building? Oh man, where are we gonna meet? My greatest concern is that there are some in our church family that because things get inconvenient and things might get a little sloppy and messy at times that people will begin to opt out of life together in following Jesus. I don't want it. I don't want that to happen. I love you. I love this family. And I want us to have the courage to be able to see that, hey, even though it feels inconvenient and might get sloppy and it may not be as clean and as neat as we want it to be, that Jesus, he's here with this opportunity. He's laying out an invitation. He's saying, don't be afraid, just keep following me. And our job with one another is to care for each other, check in on each other, make sure that we're all in this thing together to keep walking with one another. You notice that Peter didn't step out on his own and follow. It says that Peter and his brother Andrew and James and John, they got out of their boats together and they left everything and they went and followed Jesus together. And I think this is the invitation for us. Don't be afraid. Just follow me. This is also true for each of us individually. Again, Jesus just looks at whatever situation's in your life and he's going, hey, I know it doesn't make sense to you right now. Just keep following me. And so we see this glorious disruption. We see a simple invitation And the third thing that we see, the last thing where we'll land is we see this renewed purpose. It's renewed purpose. You know, Jesus looks at Peter when Peter's scared and Peter goes, oh Lord, I'm not worthy. And he says, hey, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. I love this. You know, because Peter, Peter, the only vision Peter had for his life was to be a fisherman. I mean, Peter's just this blue collar worker, like, Hardworking man, like young man. Most historians speculate that he was probably either in his late teens or early 20s, the moment that he met Jesus. And he's a fisherman on this small fishing village on the side of the Sea of Galilee in the first century. He probably does not have this huge drawn out vision for his life. And Jesus just speaks right at him. He says, follow me. And from now on, you're gonna fish for people. And what he meant was this. He said, from now on, I am going to leverage your humble obedience to help others come and know the good news of what I'm holding out for them. He said, I've got purpose for you, Peter. I've got purpose for you. Now, Peter, Peter did not believe this about himself. I love Peter's response because like I said, one of the things I love about Peter, he's so relatable. Peter comes to Jesus. He's like, Jesus, look, I'm, I'm a sinful man. Like I am jacked up. Do you, do you know what my life looks like? Do you, Jesus, do you understand like who I am? Do you understand the things I've done? Do you understand where I've been? He says, surely you, you're not, you're not, you need to go away from me. You need to go find somebody else, Jesus. But Jesus looks at Peter and says, no, 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 no. Don't be afraid. Follow me. You will catch people. You will share the good news. You will bring in huge netfuls of souls that need to be redeemed to know their saving father and the love of their father. He says, trust me. I think many of us at times, we hear the good news of Jesus. We hear about this God who's brimming with love, overflowing with love. We hear about this 
almighty, all-powerful God who's holy. And you will hear the, this good news that he's also personal, that he came in the form of Jesus and that he loves us. And I think many of us go, man, there's no way Jesus could love me. Does it, do you know the things I've done? Do you know the places I've been? You know the people I've hurt? Do you understand the depths of my brokenness and my depravity? There's no way that God could really love me. This is where Peter was at. And Jesus looks at him and he says, I have purpose for your life that you could never even begin to dream of on your own. He says, you were created by my father to do good works, which he's prepared in advance for you to do. And this is what Jesus speaks over us. It doesn't matter what your life has looked like at this point. If you have a heart that can respond in humble obedience to the things that Jesus invites you into, he goes, man, I'm ready. I'm ready to run with you. I've got purpose for your life. For us as a church family, I think this is so true. Like, I think this is just, this is so true. <clears throat> I, I honestly believe that there is renewed purpose for our church family in this transition that we're facing. You know, there are plenty of people, lots and lots of people in our city that are far from Jesus. They don't know the love of Jesus. They've not given their lives to Jesus. Some of them are your neighbors. Some of them are the people that we work with. Some of them are, are people that we've not even met yet. And I think Jesus is doing something. He's leading us into the unknown. We're peering over the cliff and we have the example of our older brother, Peter, who's gone ahead of us. And we can look at the fruit of Peter's life that when he acted in humble obedience, the Lord brought about great results that Peter never could have done on his own. And I am convinced that this transition for us as a church family, it's not something for us to be afraid of. It's not an obstacle for us to logically figure out how we work through. It is an opportunity for Jesus to renew our purpose in this city, in our neighborhoods, in this country, and in the globe. I believe that Jesus is shaking things up because he is not finished with us yet. He has purpose, renewed purpose for us as a church family, if we will have eyes to see the opportunity and humble hearts to respond in obedience. This is the invitation that he has for us. So over the next several weeks, we're gonna keep tracking with Peter. We're gonna see how this, this incredible glorious disruption resulted in his life being completely changed and fruit in his life that he never could have planned for himself. And I think God has something for us in that. You know, this morning, <clears throat> as, as we get ready to wrap up, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna take communion as, as we always do. You know, communion set out around the room and in this moment of communion, it's, we take the bread, it's Jesus' body. We take the cup, it's Jesus' blood. It is, this, it is this reminder, this visual moment where we partake in the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And in this moment, I want us to come together around the body of Jesus, around the blood of Jesus. I want us just to wrestle with just a couple things of where we are. And with one another, you can kind of just answer this simple question, what part of the journey are you in right now? What part of the journey are you in with Jesus? And it's important we're doing this around communion because it's the table of grace. It doesn't matter what part of the journey you're in. Some of you have not put your faith in Jesus yet. And as you talk with the people around you, you understand that, man, Jesus says, hey, I'm right here. It's a, it's a table of grace. I have grace for you. I'm calling you. I'm inviting you to follow me. For some of you, you're in the middle of a disruption 
and your life feels upside down right now and things are unclear, just share that with folks that are with you. For some of you, it's the moment that there's an invitation that Jesus is inviting you into. And for some of you, it may be that you're becoming aware of a new purpose that he's doing. Whatever it is, what moment of the journey you're in, whether it's a disruption, an invitation, or a new purpose, I just wanna encourage you as you take communion together, share that with one another and just pray for each other on your journey. As we commune with Jesus, we pray for one another and we ask him to lead us. And so I'm gonna pray for us and then I'll, I'll dismiss you to grab communion. Also, if, if you want, if, if you're here by yourself and you want someone to pray with you, we will have men and women at the respond banner over here. If there's anything in your life that you want prayer for or somebody else in your life that you want to pray with, then you can come to the respond banner. We would love to pray with you. So let me pray for us. Lord, we love you. I, I thank you for the way that you lead us. You are faithful, Lord. I thank you for the way that you move even in, even in disruptive ways that you bring us to this place of humility of just trusting you. I pray this morning that as we commune with you, Lord, wherever we are in our walk with you, wherever we are on our journey to understanding your will for our life, would you minister to us over communion? As we take of your body, of your blood, Lord Jesus, would you speak through your Holy Spirit? Would you give us words of encouragement for one another as we pray for each other? Father, I pray that you would just speak in undeniable ways as we commune together, as we worship together, as we pray together. We just give the rest of our time to you, Lord. We give it to you for you to move however you want to. Take our hearts and lead us. Come, Lord, come. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So feel free to go grab communion. It's on the bar. It's on these tables around the room. If you'd like to receive prayer, we'll have some men and women at the respond banner. I love you all very much. Thanks for being such an amazing church family.